0: God is so good. The blessings of love. This is what real love wants to do in and through your life. Real love wants to birth blessings in your home, in your experience, in your walk with God, in your life. There's no greater life. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13, the passage that we've been reading through this entire month as we end our love series this morning. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Would you underscore these words? It keeps... No record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Say it with me. Love never fails. There's power in love if you'll choose to exercise that power. In the name of Jesus and for the glory of God. But what do you do when somebody that you've loved confronts you with heartbreak, heartache? What do you do when life is like the title of this message this morning The Lover and the Loser? Father, we ask this morning that you'll speak to us through your word. Speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Bring, Lord, we invite you to bring your healing, your restoration. In the name of Jesus, we pray this, and everyone together would say, amen. 760 years before Christ... Would you write it down? The young prophet Hosea fell in love and became engaged to a young lady with a bad reputation. She had a bad track record. Her name was Gomer. I didn't say Gomer Pyle, for those of you in my generation that grew up with that name. Gomer was a beautiful name in ancient times. And God gave the young prophet clearance to marry this girl, even though she had a bad reputation. The Bible says in Hosea 1:2, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go and marry a wife who is not faithful in marriage and have children from that woman, for the land is guilty of not being faithful to the Lord. You see, God not only planned to use their relationship as a living lesson to Israel, God planned to use it as a living lesson to all of us. Oh, Hosea and Gomer's engagement was the the hot topic of gossip around the town in which they grew up in. The word was at the water well. Hosea is marrying Gomer. Can you believe it? The preacher is marrying that girl. Hosea dearly loved her. He believed in her. And he married her. For a while, their home was filled with the love of the Lord as both Hosea and Gomer loved each other. They loved God together. God blessed them with a little son whose name was Jezreel. But not long after the birth of Jezreel, Gomer started to feel restless, like a bird trapped in a cage. She began staying away from home longer each time. Night after night, she would not come home. And then Gomer became pregnant. Not once, but twice. And Hosea the prophet, his suspicions were confirmed. Because he knew that the boy and the girl now birthed in his home were not his. Yet he kept loving. He kept loving. And he kept forgiving. But it gets worse, one day, write it down, Hosea received the most heartbreaking news that any spouse could receive. His wife, the mother of their children, was gone. She was living in adultery with her new boyfriend. We can imagine Hosea running over there. We can imagine Hosea pleading with his wife begging his wife to return home to return home to him uh, to return home to their children but she would not she only laughed in his face there I've got chores here I'm treated like a queen <laughs> here I've got everything I want no responsibilities only my rights For me, myself, and I. But Hosea's nightmare was only beginning. The news about Gomer was going from bad to worse to shocking. Write it down with me after being used and rejected by all of her boyfriends. Gomer resorted to selling her body to any paying customer as a prostitute. You think I'm making this up? Hear the word of the Lord, Hosea chapter 2. Hosea writes, Plead with your mother. Plead with her. She no longer acts like my wife. She no longer treats me like her husband. Tell her to stop acting like a prostitute. The woman who became pregnant with them did shameful things. She said, I'll chase after my lovers. They will give me food, water, wool, linen, olive oil, and wine. I'm convinced if God created man from the dust of the earth and then woman from man, woman is doubly refined. And all the women would say, Amen. I submit this to you if man is the rough draft, then woman is the masterpiece. Amen? I agree with that. I see that in my own wife. Amen? But, but, would you agree with me in this? For this reason, if a woman is the masterpiece, if a woman is doubly refined, for this reason, when a woman falls into sin, when a woman falls into immorality, she seemingly becomes more degraded than a man. I have seen children overcome bad dads, but I have rarely seen children overcome a bad mother. Such is the dramatic, traumatic impact So what would Hosea do? What should Hosea do? The lover is married to a loser. What should he do? Had this lover wasted his love on a loser? Satan's bait. Do you know what Satan's bait is? People hurts or offenses are, are one of Satan's deadliest traps for our lives and families. Jesus taught that it wouldn't be a matter of if you would be hurt by somebody, if you would be offended by somebody. Jesus said it would be a matter of when you are hurt, when you are offended by somebody. Jesus said in Luke 17, 1, offenses will Come, you see that word offenses? Circle that word offenses. Circle that word offenses. The Greek that it's translated from is very, very interesting. The Greek word for offend in Luke 17, 1 comes from the word scandalon. Scandalon. Scandalon is the most deceptive part of a trap. What is the most lethal part of? Of a trap whether it's a a rat trap a mouse trap a mole trap a bear trap what is the most lethal part of a trap is it the spring is it the steel it's the bait it's the bait be aware of that that is the most lethal part of any trap the bait it's the deceptive nature, it's the seductive nature of a trap that is so deadly, that's so lethal. Offenses, people hurts, are Satan's deceptive strategy employ to trip you and I up, to snare our souls, and to catch us and to destroy us for Jesus said he's a thief who comes to steal kill and destroy and that's just how the devil attacks us with offenses with deceptive people hurts you think your problem is with flesh and blood. Paul corrects us and says, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. Our real battle is with who? Satanic forces. Be aware of that. Hospital room. Man is on his deathbed. He's dying. He tells his wife, to draw her ear close to his gasping breath, to hear his dying last wishes. Wife! Wife! She said, I'm here, honey, I'm here. Wife! After I'm dead and gone, I want you to marry Tom. Tom! You want me to marry Tom? Why marry Tom? You can't stand him. You hate him. He's your worst enemy. I want him to live with the misery I've lived with all these years. Ooh. Ooh. Offense, hurt, resentment. Who's offended you? The closer the relationship, you can fill in the blank, the greater the hurt. Count on it. The closer the relationship, the greater the hurt. Has your heartache been caused by a child? Has it been caused by a loved one? Has it been caused by a spouse? If you allow that hurt to fester, it will become resentment. It will become bitterness, maybe even hatred. Bitterness says, I'll stay married to you, but I'm going to hold this over your head as long as you live. You know you've heard the voice of resentment. When you hear someone say, what do you mean, preacher, forgive my ex? I was the one that was left all alone. I was the one left with all the bills. I was the one who was made out to be a fool. i pray an early grave upon them. Have you ever heard the voice of resentment, toxic poison that is spewed out of toxic tongues, filled with hatred and resentment? You see, there's costly consequences that come with an unforgiving heart. Unforgiving attitudes will put you in the hospital. Newsweek magazine reports that resentment has specific physiologic consequences, such as increased blood pressure, hormonal changes, cardiovascular disease, immune suppression, and possibly impaired neurological function and memory. I feel sick just reading that. Far worse than physical uh, uh, consequences are the spiritual and eternal consequences. Hear the words of Dr. Jesus. Jesus said in Mark 11, listen to me, you can pray for anything. And if you believe you have it, it's yours. But when you are praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive you Your sins, too. You see, just as long as you forgive, refuse to forgive, just that long, your prayers go unanswered. Just that long, miracles are short-circuited. Just that long, you remain unforgiven. An unforgiving spirit is a satanic spirit which cannot abide in heaven. You will, you will, you will tragically decide to put yourself in hell. Because if an unforgiving spirit is allowed to go unchecked, you cannot make your eternal habitation heaven. But you're in league, in partnership, with whom hell was prepared for, the devil and his angels. I believe it bears repeating. I know I've said it a lot this last month, but I believe it bears repeating. You and I were created to be creatures of love. We can't handle hate. We can't handle resentment. We can't handle bitterness. Love is the healthy choice. God has wired us to be loving. God has wired and programmed us to be beings of love. I mean, it goes against our designer. It goes against the design to, to, to move in resentment and bitterness. We're wired for love. Can I hear an amen? That's why you need to turn to the person right now next to you and say, I'm a love machine. I'm a love machine. Some of you aren't doing it and not, Pastor noticed it. Sign up for counseling tomorrow. Especially if it was your spouse. (laughs) What's love's sweetest face? I'm convinced that love's sweetest face is forgiveness. Grace for the undeserving. Grace for the undeserving. You see, the forgiving life is the blessed life. The forgiving life is the victorious life. The forgiving life is the prosperous life. The forgiving life is the healthy life. The forgiving life is the favored life, the highly favored life. Peter came to Jesus expecting a pat on the back. Peter came to Jesus and and, and said, "Uh, Lord, how many times shall I forgive uh, my brother or sister who sins against me? Shall I forgive them seven times? In that day and time, if you forgave somebody once, you were a good man. If you forgave them twice, you were a holy man. If you forgave them three times, you were a godly man. You were godlike. So Peter, expecting a pat on the back, says, he thought, I'm going to add four onto the three, come up with seven, the perfect number. Jesus, seven times? And Jesus responds with what? No, seven times, 70 times. Jesus was saying, keep forgiving 490 times, and on the 491st time, kick him. (laughs) God bless you huh is that what Jesus was saying keep record keep count 7 times 70 no Jesus is saying forgive until it becomes a habit numbers were special to the Jews 7 the perfect number a number of completeness and fulfillment 7 times 70 infinity Forgive until it becomes a holy habit. If you allow forgiveness, loving forgiveness, this face of love, restoration, reconciliation, forgiveness to become a holy habit, I promise you the successful life, a good life, a happy life, a holy life. Forgiveness, forgiveness does not condone the victimizer. It doesn't condone their injustice. It doesn't whitewash what they've done to you. Forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness cleanses you. Forgiveness frees you. Forgiveness, hallelujah, hallelujah, it heals you from the toxic poison of their bitterness and hatred directed towards you. Forgiveness, real forgiveness, makes you the master and not the slave. Just as long as you return resentment for resentment, just as long as you return bitterness for bitterness, hate for hate, just that long, they control you. That hurt is controlling you. It's, it's causing you to, to not sleep at night. It's causing you not to enjoy your food and lose your appetite, God forbid. It's choosing you to lose the joy of living But when you forgive, you put yourself in the driver's seat. You declare, I will not be controlled by your hatred. I will not be controlled by your hurt and your heartache. Uh, Jesus is Jesus in me, and I choose to forgive. I choose to release. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm a lover. I'm not a hater. There it is. There it is. Will you choose to forgive? Forgiveness frees you, heals you. It's the blessed life. Amen. We're the most like beasts when we kill. We're the most like people when we judge and criticize. We're the most like God when we forgive. Loving forgiveness, write it down, is immediate. The 22 times forgiveness is mentioned in the Bible. We're commanded to forgive others immediately immediate don't wait for the feelings of forgiveness to initiate reconciliation in you and through you don't wait for the feelings do it now why because God commanded it do it now forgiveness is an act of your will not your feelings forgiveness is an act of obedience before a holy God not subject to your feelings If you wait for the feelings, you're being a a toy of Satan's. You have swallowed the bait. You're in the trap. It's an act of your will, not your feelings. Your will is to be the locomotive. Your feelings are to be the caboose. As you choose to love, as you choose to forgive, as you choose to restore and to reconcile, the feelings will catch up with the choice of your actions, the choice of your will. There it is. Paul the apostle said to do it immediately. Paul said in Ephesians 4, in your anger do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. People hurts when we're hurt by people, offended by people, is like driving down the road of life and Satan's out hitchhiking. If you give old Slewfoot the devil, a ride, he'll want to drive. Anytime you give the old devil a ride, I'll repeat it again, he will want to drive. Footholds become strongholds. Don't give him an inch. Tell him to get off your doorstep. Tell him to get off your property. No trespassing. You're not allowed here. This vessel was created in fashion for the presence of the Lord. And Slewfoot, you don't have authority here in this place. There it is. Don't give him a, a ride. He'll want to drive. Forgiveness is to be immediate real forgiveness always includes forgetting 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 have you ever met somebody that's been holding on to something for a long time have you ever met somebody that's holding on to bitterness huh story goes of a rich tv evangelist rich TV evangelists who had been in and out of court. I mean, Boku lawyers, Boku IRS tax agents, in and out of court on his deathbed. He pleaded with his followers, there's two people I want to stand at my deathbed Two people that I want to witness my passing, thinking that they would be two loved ones. They, they said, tell us who, give us the names. He said, I want an IRS agent and a tax attorney, one on my left, one on my right, the two men came and they said, Sir, that this is an honor, this is a privilege. We don't know why you've called us to stand here at your deathbed. The rich evangelist looked up at him and said, I've asked you here because I want to die like Jesus. I want to die with thieves on either side of me. Somebody was holding on to a grudge. Somebody hadn't forgiven. Somebody was walking in resentment. How many times I've heard this. Boy, if I had a nickel for every time I've heard this. Pastor! Pastor! I'll forgive, but I won't forget. I look him in the eye and say, I hope you never sin then. I hope you never sin. Because Jesus said in Matthew 6, If you forgive other people when they sin against you, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others... And forgiveness always includes forgetting. Your father will not forget your sins. Holding grudges shows that you haven't really forgiven. But, Pastor, it's impossible to completely wipe the slate of my mind and completely forget what they did to me and how they victimized me. I agree. But you have a choice. In how you remember, I said, you have a choice in how you remember with God's help. Look at the word forgive with me. Look at the word forgive. What's the main element in the word forgive? Give. Give. When you forgive someone, you're going to give them something. What are you going to give them? You're going to give them release. Release from the debt that they owe you. Release from your retaliation and your revenge. Release from your bitterness and your resentment. And you're going to give them release with your memory. You have a choice when you look back to remember with resentment or to remember with release. What will you give them? You're going to give them release. Next... Hebrews 8, verse 12, For I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. Aren't you glad that when you go to prayer, and you get on your knees before God in prayer, aren't you glad you don't hear a voice from heaven that says, Listen, I want to bring up right now, Twenty-three years ago, three months and three days, what you did at three o'clock in the afternoon, I have forgiven, but I haven't forgotten. Let's go there right now. My Bible says that he remembers our sins against us no more my bible says that he buries my sins and your sins in the ocean the sea of forgetfulness and at that ocean that sea of forgetfulness there's a sign posted there no fishing allowed sometimes it's not a question of forgiving others have you forgiven yourself stop going back stop rehearsing what you did yesterday and start living in the now in God's grace and God's freedom God's salvation God's cleansing love his redeeming love no fishing allowed don't go there stop parking by yesterday's failures stop living in the rearview mirror of your life move forward the best is yet to come in his grace amen Nothing opens the door to repentance and restoration like loving forgiveness. What was Jesus' last word to the church? What was Jesus' last words to the church? Was it, go and preach this gospel to all the nations of the earth? What was Jesus' last word to the church? My Bible and your Bible says this, Repent! Check out the book of Revelation. Five out of seven churches in Revelation, Jesus said, repent. His last words to the church. The word repentance, the subject, the concept, is rarely preached anymore from pulpits. You'll rarely hear it in a church because today we want to be politically correct we want to be positive thinkers and positive preachers we don't want to offend we want you to come back next Sunday and we don't want you to leave our churches and so we don't touch the subject because it is misconstrued and confused that the word repentance has a bad connotation that the word repentance smacks of condemnation and guilt and you're a bad person and we want to be able to preach today psychological pablum from the pulpit. But that says, "I'm okay and you're okay. We're all okay." <laughs> this preacher's going to talk repentance right now, Because I have mainly been talking to innocent parties here this morning, but maybe you're the one that needs to repent. You've been praying that the other would change. And maybe if you go to prayer, you'd hear a voice from heaven and say, you need to change. Repentance. When was the first invitation to repentance given? God, in the cool of the evening, went walking through the garden of Eden, and God asked a question. WHERE ART THOU? Let me tell you something. When the omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient God is asking questions, He's not looking for answers. God knows all the answers. So why was God asking, WHERE ART THOU? Did He know where Adam and Eve were? What was God looking for with that question? WHERE ART THOU? What was God looking for? Come on. He was looking for Adam and Eve to do what? Repent. Thank you, Bob Rocker. Amen. That's what happens when you sit at the front of the class instead of the back of the class. Amen. But what did they do? When he lined up all three guilty parties, what did they do? Huh? He came to hubby, came to Adam. And what did Adam do that most husbands do? Huh? Instead of repenting, what did Adam do? He blamed it on his wife. She made me do it. It's her fault. In fact, he also blamed it on God. The woman that you made for me caused me to sin. Then God comes over to Eve. What game did she play? Huh? Did she repent? No, she blamed it on the serpent. The serpent made me do it. Yeah, sure. The blame game. There's nothing new about it. It's called Satan's strategy of rationalizing sin away instead of repenting of sin. We rationalize our sin. We live in a culture today. We live in a culture today. If your house gets robbed, if you get, uh, uh, have a thief that breaks in and steals you blind, uh, it's not the thief's fault. It's the fault of education today. It's, it's your fault. You didn't wire your house with an alarm system. You made him do it. If a young adult girl, like what's happened recently more than once, is running through a park jogging just to exercise, and she's raped and killed, it, it's, not, it's not the murderer's fault. It's her fault. She shouldn't be running alone. She shouldn't be dressed the way She, she shouldn't be doing that activity. We rationalize sin. This is Satan's strategy. Where God's gift is repentance. The Greek word for repentance is metanoia. It means a complete about-face. It means I stop doing it. I quit that lifestyle. And I have a course correction. I do a complete 180-degree turn, and I go in the opposite way. I go in God's way according to His Word and His will. Write down the word repent. Put a slash between R E and P N T. It's made up of two words, R E and PENT. R E means return. Return. PENT, we use the word PENT house. PENT means a place of high position. Our word pinnacle comes from pent as well. It's a prominent place. It's a place of high position. So when you repent, the word repent is not a word of condemnation. It's not a word of of guilt and you're a bad person. Repentance is returning to your place of prominence. It's being restored to a place of high position. Adam and Eve could have repented and could have returned to walking and talking with God. Hallelujah. When I repent, I move into restoration thinking. I move into a restoration lifestyle. I'm raised up to a place of high prominence. I'm restored to fellowship with the living God. Hallelujah. Will you repent? Repentance is healthy. Repentance is realignment with God's word and God's will. I'm doing a circle here. I hope you're following where I'm going here. You are married to someone. You are a parent of someone. You are a child of someone that needs to repent. You're in relational restoration mode with that person. You're seeking... By loving them, by forgiving them, you are creating a pathway for the miraculous. When you exercise loving forgiveness for that person that has hurt you, especially a family member, a loved one, you are fostering a miracle pathway for God to bring healing, for God to bring restoration. Not just between him and that party, but in your marriage, in your family relationship. But what happens when there's no repentance? What happens after repeated attempts, there's no reconciliation? Does forgiveness mean that you have to live with abuse? After my sermon last week, I think some got confused on this. I thought that I hit it on the head, very, very balanced. We stressed the permanence of marriage, the need for commitment in marriage, but also we enumerated biblical allowances for divorce. A father, a father in Dallas, Texas called his son in New York City and said, son, Your mom and I have had it up to here, we're going to divorce. Just before the holidays, we just can't take it any longer. I can't stand her, she can't stand me, we're divorcing. The son said, Dad, don't do a thing until I get there. Wait until I get there. I'm calling my sister in Miami. He called his sister in Miami. She called uh, Dad in Dallas and said, Dad, don't you and Mom do a thing until we show up. Don't you dare divorce until, you wait until we're there. The father hung up the phone, yelled to his wife, Honey, honey, guess what? The kids are coming. I got them coming for the holidays. And we won't have to pay a red cent for their travel here. Sadly, divorce is no laughing matter. And I'm convinced it's the greatest heartbreak of all. I've cried with dozens. It's worse than a death. I used to be very, very hard against the subject until the closest I've come to it is when I've prayed over and I've hired pastoral associates who have ended up being Judas's and have put the knife in the back. And the hurt goes beyond description. I cannot imagine the heartbreak of divorce. Last week we shared that Jesus, when the religious leaders came to Him, they said, Jesus, Moses allowed us to have a bill of divorcement. When you study the times and the historical context of Jesus, do you know how easy it was to get a divorce in that day? Only for the men. The men could divorce their wives, but not the other way around. If a wife spoiled the husband's supper, he could turn his back upon her and say, I divorce you seven times, and it was done. Just if she spoiled a supper. I won't go there. My wife treats me like a god. I've had many burnt (laughs) offerings when she was a, when we were young married, <laughs> but she is an excellent cook today and a chef today. <laughs> but she'll agree our first year of marriage, boy, it was. Uh, I mean, how many times can you have hamburger helper? <laughs> I divorce you eight times. It was done. Jesus came back, check me out in this, Matthew 19. Jesus came back and said, yes, you were granted a bill of divorcement for the hardness of your hearts. As I mentioned last week, you can trace every divorce to either one or both parties falling away from God. And selfishness and self-will, self-directedness, self-centeredness creeping in. I want my way! Love is always giving. It's always other centered Jesus allowed divorce for adultery. Paul went a step further and allowed divorce for desertion or abandonment. And it's basically part and parcel of the same thing, adultery. I've had some men, uh, maybe it's not another woman, but it's crack cocaine. Ruining their life, ruining their marriage, ruining legalities, finances, I mean, abusing the family. That's adultery. That's abandonment. That's desertion. Incest. Abuse. These are all equal to desertion and abandonment. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 15, if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is what? Not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in what? Peace. Paul goes on to say it's better to marry than to burn. Uh, The Bible gives allowances. I believe the church has wisdom and discernment with spiritual leadership to counsel in these situations. No one has been in your shoes. No one is here to condemn. But you'll have to take godly counsel, you'll have to take the Word of God, and you'll have to stand before God one day, And give an account if you choose the pathway of divorce. My point here this morning, if you want to seek reconciliation, if you want to see repentance uh, come into your home and your marriage and your situation, then you need to exercise loving forgiveness. When you exercise loving forgiveness, it does not mean that you're a doormat. But it does mean that in your attitude, in your communication, in your relationship, you are fostering a miracle mentality for that soul to repent. Are they going to repent if you keep talking hate to them? Or are they going to repent if you keep loving them and seeking loving forgiveness with them? What is going to be better? I think it's obvious. Remember what Jesus said to the adulterous woman? Jesus said in John 8, 11, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Restoration was dependent on her repentance. If a husband asks his wife, Will you forgive me of adultery? Her answer should be, Yes! But also, her answer should be this. I'll forgive you if you repent and change. But if this is going to be a pattern, hit the road, Jack, and don't think about coming back. Do you see that? Real forgiveness is only possible by letting Jesus be Jesus in you. Pastor, it's impossible. The hurt goes so deep. It has been so vicious, I've been so victimized, I can't do it. I agree with you. We, in and of ourselves, humanly cannot forgive when the hurt goes so deep. But when you open the door of your heart and say, Jesus, I need Jesus to be Jesus in me. No longer me, but the resurrection power. Fill me this hour. Jesus, be Jesus in me. His Holy Spirit comes. He gives you the words. He gives you the heart. He gives you the attitude. It's up to you to invite the Holy Spirit to come in and do what only He can do. You can invite Him. The Holy Spirit can do what only God can possibly do. Back to Hosea. In his heartache, Hosea sought God for direction. Surely the Lord would tell Hosea, You did your best, Hosea, divorce her. You can't possibly do more. But that's not the answer that Hosea received. You might get a different answer. But Hosea heard from God, and God told Hosea, Forgive her. Restore her. Bring her back home. Hosea discovered his lovely wife, write it down, had gone from being a call girl to selling herself into human trafficking, a sex slavery ring. He got to pl- he got together every piece of money he had in the house. He ran down there to the auction block and immediately as he came in that auction house, the foul odors, the stench of human trafficking assaulted his senses. It was not a place where you buy things. It was a place where you buy people. It was the junkyard of humanity. At first he looked up there and he said, no, she's not here. And then his gaze stopped on the third woman in line. She was haggard. She was years beyond her normal age. She was nothing but a bag of bones, dirty, filthy, She stood there with her hair hanging down. She was naked with her hands tied behind her back. She was willing to be sold to anybody. She didn't care any longer. She was worthless. She had no value. But then she heard a voice. It was the voice of her real lover, Comer. Gomer, is that you? I'm here to take you home. She sobbed, but then the crack of the whip came down. And the auctioneer, I can imagine him saying, if you want her, then you got to buy her. And Hosea gave all that he had. The Bible records that, you know, Hosea, so I bought her for myself. For 15 pieces of silver, and a bushel, and a half of barley, I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. (laughs) I'm committing to you again. But notice, notice the condition of repentance. You shall not play the prostitute, and you shall not be with any other man. And I will also be so toward you. He bought her, he freed her, he cleansed her, he restored her as both wife, mother, preacher's wife. What is this a picture of? Do you have it? Do you see it? Fill in the blank with us. Hosea's ransoming of Gomer was an object lesson of God's grace for us. God did not redeem you with silver, but with the redeeming sacrifice of the blood of His only Son, Jesus. Say it with me. Jesus. What do you do with love like that? Stand with me this morning. Quietly. God didn't use Visa. God didn't use MasterCard. God didn't use gold or silver or platinum. You are not common. You are worth more than all the gold and the silver that this planet contains. To purchase you, to ransom you, to redeem you, took far more than the wealth of any billionaire you have been purchased and bought at a price you are not your own you have been purchased with the shed blood of jesus christ you are special the royal blood of heaven flows through your veins you can shout and sing i've been redeemed i've been ransomed by the very best i have been redeemed by jesus christ the only begotten son of god Christian, follower of Christ, are you walking in a lifestyle of forgiveness? Are you walking with a lifestyle of being a grace giver? I've told the story before, but it bears repeating. There's an old legend about Leonardo da Vinci when he was painting. The masterpiece the Last Supper he chose different people for the faces of the disciples and when he came to paint the face of Judas when he came to paint the face of Judas he chose a fellow artist that he hated that he despised he took that other painters face and put it on the face of Judas But when it came to completing the masterpiece, he just could not paint the face of Jesus. It just wouldn't come out until he reconciled with that fellow artist. Only then could he come back and paint the face of Jesus. And he chose an anonymous face for Judas who's your Judas whose face have you painted on Judas this morning today right now is your time to release and walk in a lifestyle of forgiveness father in the name of Jesus we ask Even right now, O Holy Spirit, come, 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 and touch lives, restore lives, heal lives. Lord, we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed here this morning. There's no looking around in the privacy of this moment. I'm prepared to pray a prayer. I'm prepared to pray a prayer of salvation. A prayer that will make you right with God and give you a home in heaven. How many of you would like to be included in that prayer? This morning you're not sure you're right with God. You're not certain that you have a home in heaven and you want to be. If that's you, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I'm not going to call anyone out. In the privacy of this moment, would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, include me in your prayer? I want to be right with God. Just lift it up right now. It's a sign of your faith. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. What are you going to do with the love of Jesus? Will you accept it or will you reject it? How many more? Lift it up high. What's important is that heaven sees it. Everyone pray with me right now. Especially you that have lifted up your hands. Pray with me. Everyone pray this prayer out loud. Are you ready? Dear Jesus, I come to you right now. Just as I am. I confess I'm a sinner. But you're my Savior. Save me from my sins, Jesus. I believe You died for me. I believe you rose from the dead with resurrection life. I want that life, Jesus. A new life. A changed life. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. For changing me. I thank you for a home in heaven. I receive it as I believe it.